0: Behringer Brothers Spirit Barrel Aged Wines, the official wine partner of the 2020 CMA Country Christmas presented by ABC, celebrates the holidays with a Tacky Sweater Sweepstakes. Enter for your chance to win a CMA Tacky Country Christmas Sweater by texting SWEATER to 467467. No purchase necessary. Message and data rates may apply. Sweepstakes ends December 31st, 2020. Must be 21 or older to enter. See BehringerBrothers.com slash Tacky Sweater for official rules. Void where prohibited. Behringer Brothers Wine. Please enjoy responsibly. Hey, what's up, y'all? It's JJ. So last episode's conversation with Justin Garrett Moore, Executive Director of the New York Public Design Commission, was so good and full of gems that we decided to post a full unedited interview for you this week. Shana and myself will be back next Wednesday with your business, LLC, and everything else you're loving about the show so far. In the meantime, please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us, share the podcast with your friends, and if you think we're doing a good job, support us on Patreon, too, at patreon.com forward slash pod. See you next week.
2: Okay. So today, we have Justin Garrett Moore, who is an urban designer and executive director of the New York City Public Design Commission. Also, um, he just wears a ton of hats. He has a social enterprise called Urban Patch that we'll talk a little bit about, and he's part of a collective called Black Space, um, which is a collective of Black urban designers, arts and cultural producers interested in Black spaces. So, Justin, thank you so much for being here this morning.
3: Thank you for having me. We black are Black Spaces
0: music to my
2: ears. Yeah, <laughs> like all everyone is a space yes. with all blackness in it.
0: Yes. So welcome, Justin. Um, Tell us, like, give us, like, an intro of, like, what is, like, the through line of all your projects? Because you're involved in so much, but is there, like, one um, uh, umbrella, you know, term or a few sentences that you give people when they ask you how it all ties together?
3: Yeah, I mean, I'm a, a kid of the inner city, I like to say. And so growing up, I was just always very conscious of my environment, of my background of my community. And you could see even as a child that there were some problems. And so the work that I've been doing and interested in for a long time has just been, how do you make things better? Uh, and so that can be through professional means, it can be through kind of community and social means, but that's really the the thread is how do we make our environments better and our communities better.
2: Yeah. And living in a, so what, where did you grow up?
3: So I grew up in Indianapolis, okay. uh, so Midwest, but uh, a lot of people joke like, oh, you know, might, might not that be that bad, but it was the city, you yeah. know, it doesn't have that Im- impression, you know, people don't think of it like of a Detroit or St. Louis or something right. like that, but those conditions are across all American cities, and it was that kind of traditional inner-city America kind of uh, uh, context.
2: Yeah, and then moving to a city as huge as New York, was that did did your did your mind think about that th- that the problems would be bigger or like what was the move here like for you
3: yeah it's it's interesting i actually moved uh to new york in 2001 so that was just crazy because i moved here and then 911 happened wow. Oh, wow um so it, it it was a an intense kind of time um but but exactly you know you think okay new york is there's all this Uh, uh, kind of complexity and and dynamics here that are are difficult, I actually moved to Harlem right here on uh, 108th uh, Manhattan Avenue is where I first moved and Harlem was different then. (laughs) Um, And so, you know, it was sort of a a reality like, oh, I'm landing in this environment that has all these challenges. But um, the thing I love about New York is over the years, this is one of the most resilient places on earth. Mm. I mean, the Just thing after thing happens, and the people are just amazing. They, they take on any challenge, whether it's an outside challenge or, or something that's kind of self-produced within the just craziness of the economy and capital that are swirling around this city. Yeah. The people are amazing.
2: And living in a city this big, so I'm from Pittsburgh, so I, oh, cool. I kind of understand yes, you know, a little okay. <laughs> bit of a small town um, situation. And so moving here, it feels impossible to impact a change. Like there's so many people and you're kind of just like hustling and bustling all day. What are some things that we can do to get involved?
3: Oh, that's a great question. Wonderful question. So I always say that cities are people. Right. So you come to a city and you see like all the big buildings, the the bridges, the the parks and traffic, and there it's this big, horrible machine that seems like you have no control over it. But when you break it down, cities are just people. Hmm. You know, in New York there's eight and a half, probably really nine million people, and that's what's making it. And it's all these individuals kind of collectively right, doing and, of and working together. And so it's getting involved in in different groups in your community. It could be starting your own organization. Mm. Uh, it could be um, uh, looking at spaces that are kind of not to their fullest potential and saying, okay, how do we remake that? And it's great. You can get involved with community boards. You can get involved with uh, people that do similar work to you. And, and you just start.
0: So... As executive director of New York City Public Design Commission, um, you've worked on projects in neighborhoods like Williamsburg and Fort Greene. Mm-hmm. We know that those are two neighborhoods that have changed drastically yes. over the years. Um, and I'm just curious, like as a, a New York City official, like, what do you think about what the city is doing to address like the the ongoing like gentrification crisis here and um and kind of like the widening income disparity.
3: Yes. So, uh I've worked in city government since uh 2005, so 14 years now. Uh, and I worked originally at the city planning department. So this is the agency that does the neighborhood planning and and rezonings. Uh and, and a big part of what happens in rezonings is Changes to policy to land use that uh, can drive real estate development. Uh, so, uh, you know, in Harlem, you see the kind of the towers going up next to the Apollo Theater. That's from a rezoning where the city said you can build more uh, here, right? Mm. And so, there's absolutely a connection between these decisions that are made by government uh, that that affect real estate development and and can promote increases in rents, increases in property values, and and changes for uh, people that have been in their communities long term. Uh, so it's definitely something that has some negative impacts on communities, and this is nothing new in planning. Yeah. Um, another kind of hat I wear, I'm part of the National uh, Organization of Urban Planners, so the American Planning Association, and there is an acknowledgement that things like policy zoning have major social impacts and effects that have negatively impacted communities of color, low-income communities, and and immigrant communities. Mm. Um, So here in New York, that's obviously a a part of the pattern of our city. That's frankly what's made New York, New York. Mm. Uh, You know, the midtown Manhattan where all the skyscrapers used to be, those were neighborhoods at one point. And those people are gone. You know, this is is indigenous land.
0: (laughs) At some point, the city just seems like unlivable it, it, it right, will become right. unlivable you know yeah. for the
3: average person person right so the, yeah so there are things that that have shifted in policy when when the new mayor came in they created something called mandatory inclusionary housing mm. so this is a policy where when you change the zoning of a neighborhood where people can build more that you require that they build affordable housing mm. so that's a good measure where you know Twenty twenty five percent of new units built will have these income-restricted units. Mm. But the question that always comes up then is, affordable to whom? Right. And so there are a lot of kind of moving parts to this. So, <laughs> you know, the affordability levels are connected to federal policies, right? So that's HUD. Ben Carson... Uh-oh.
1: <laughs> right?
3: <laughs> and, and HUD, out of, out of the federal government, they put these provisions in place for kind of what counts as affordable housing based on what they call median incomes, area median incomes. Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of kind of triggers that that need to be put in place, um, but something I, I tell people is that a lot of decisions are ultimately very local, and local communities, people can have an impact on the changes happening in their neighborhood. Um, there's this um, uh, sort of story that You know, the city has a plan, they go and they do their plan, and then that's what happens, and the people don't have a a choice. That's not really the case in New York. New York has a very strong (laughs) and established community Mm -hmm. process, and the politics here is local.
0: Yeah, I mean, we've seen uh, that play out right just recently with amazon
3: but with amazon, with amazon. eggs yeah. Ex- exactly yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly people have spoken right that <laughs> yeah. that narrative and they're like you know what right. actually we're just not right right kind of, yeah. yeah. amazon <laughs> and and that, and that happens a lot and it's that's not the story that a lot of people have because right. so many public processes and and city change projects do happen through a lot of different people Shifting what ultimately happens and so people would say oh, it was approved. It's like no, there was a lot that happened trading You know compromises that happen for something get approved, but sometimes the answer is No, and and people can stop things
0: my first follow-up to that is how do People get involved in those kinds of decisions, Mm -hmm. right? Right Um, and then two, Can you talk a bit about like how? One thing I think that doesn't get talked about enough is um like when you talk about like black spaces like the the spaces for like uh minority entrepreneurship and like how does then how does like you know allowing you know skyscrapers to go up next to Apollo <laughs> how does that then like affect the black entrepreneurship sure. in the neighborhood as well along right. with like the obviously the rent the rent prices and right. all that
3: so yeah, there's, I think, a, a couple different entry points for people to 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 take that on. So one is involvement kind of before the project happens or, or while they're in their early stages. And so you can literally get involved with the, the public process, right? So that's joining a community board, uh, which, you know, it takes time to, to, frankly, see yourself in a leadership position. So you can feel strongly about something. You can... Uh, have an impact by becoming a part of the the very complex ecosystem of of leadership and decision making that there is in the city. So a lot of people don't get involved formally, but that's something it absolutely can do. And unfortunately, younger people and people of color do not tend to get involved formally in the processes that and make our why city. Why do you think
2: that is? Is it because we don't know about them, or
3: I think I think it's a combination of people not knowing about it, but also it. Those spaces are not spaces that are really designed for
2: younger yeah, I was going to say like the distrust also. <laughs> right. <just> like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
3: And, you know, you kind of go and your whole the whole point of being there is for your voice and your thoughts mm-hmm. to matter and right. you can be marginalized within those spaces. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, that happens for those of us that have gone into government, right, for that same reason, because we're there to have our thoughts and... and and voices heard, but then you can be marginalized in those spaces. Right. So it's it's just it's hard, but it you still have to to be at the table, right? Shirley Chisholm, you you have to be at the table. Mm. Um, and it, it's a process, but but absolutely, that's one way that people can can lead is by just getting directly involved. Another example is uh, to your point about kind of small businesses is that in New York, we have a a different situation from a lot of communities and a lot of cities where there are actually a lot of resources here. Uh, So there are over 300,000 people that work in New York City government. One of those kind of large groups of people are small business services agency. Uh, Greg Bishop is commissioner. uh, And there are all these programs and things that they actually do to help small businesses to either just start, business in the first place, uh, or businesses that are seeing issues with their, uh, kind of rents and space needs and, and other kinds of needs that there are public resources for people to sort of engage in that. Um, you know, there are even legal services and things that, that businesses can do around, uh, making sure that they're not having unfair practices in, in their rent increases and, and lease negotiations. Uh, so there are things that, that people can can do, but the the best thing that people can do, frankly, is to support their community. So, um, you know, it's a capitalist world, society, country, city, and your dollar matters. And so the people in your community going and shopping at the small businesses makes a big difference you know, some of the businesses are able to stay. Some of the businesses, believe it or not, welcome that there are more people. Right. Um, But what often happens is, is a neighborhood is undergoing change and the new businesses come in, people stop going to the old businesses. Right.
2: Yeah, we have to be conscious consumers.
3: Yeah, and that, that makes a difference. It's yeah. like that, you know, there are more than one reason why people can't pay the rent.
2: Can you just give us the very base level of what urban planning oh. and urban design is? Because for me, it's like- Right. The Sims or like Roller Coaster Tycoon. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm just like, that you're like, oop, boop, boop here's a building. <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah, a lot Drain of luck. And
3: drop. Exactly. Right,
2: right. Like, yeah. here is, let me wake my Sim up and let me.
3: Right. Yeah, Sims is is actually kind of a gateway for a lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> I have to admit. I, I have is. to admit. Um, so, yeah, so urban planning uh, and urban design sort of different sort of sectors Um, Urban planning is all of the policies and decisions that decide how land is used. So, and and the technical term is land use, right? So, on this piece of land, you can either build a house, you can build a 10-story apartment building, you can build a factory spewing pollution, whatever it is. Uh, It could be a park, street, all that. So, it's the people that decide, and it's very complex, obviously, how land is used. Public land, private land. And there are all these kind of rules and regulations for how that's managed, right? Environmental impact. Uh, we talk about environmental justice issues in these country uh, in this country. Um, so putting all of the manufacturing that has a lot of pollution next to the neighborhood where the black people plan, uh, happen to live is a land use decision. Right. Right. And so that's why urban planning is really important. <laughs> uh, and unfortunately, it's another field, like many others, that Mm -hmm. doesn't have a lot of people of color Mm -hmm. uh, involved in the field. And so um, one of the reasons that I really uh, think it's important that more people of color know about and engage with planning is because all of those decisions seriously affect our communities, Uh, the health outcomes of our communities In, in our field. We'll talk a lot about the zip code problem. Where a a white zip code, people will live 10 years longer than in a black zip code. Mm. And those are all connected to things like air pollution, uh, water contamination, uh, access to things like uh, services and education, so where grocery stores are located, walkability, uh, transit access. All of these things are decisions that urban planners are helping to make.
0: It sounds like um, a lot of what you're talking about also um, ties to the climate change discussion happening yes. right now in this country. Like We just saw the Green New Deal uh, proposal yes. get shut down, basically. Right. Um, and uh, what you saw Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez um, tying a lot to climate change uh, in those conversations was how mon- minority communities get... Um, adversely affected, affected right? more absolutely. than others because yeah. of what you're talking about absolutely. land use and like our proximity to you know pollution and absolutely and you're saying that's because we don't have a lot of people at the table helping with we zoning.
3: don't we don't absolutely and climate is is uh, such an important issue for our communities uh the, the, if you kind of go back a little bit you know black people were in you know they call the black belt right in this in the the south and uh, very often, where they were allowed to settle were areas that were flood prone, right? Because which, we, so, yeah. which in that pattern exists to this day. Right. And so, when we talk about the hurricanes coming and and everything in the southeast, people right? so
0: And right? like, <laughs> when, like, when you start when you talk about it
2: this way, like the system that is in, uh. and this is why I always and we will get back to it. I'm sorry. This is why I always say that. Black people existing in 2019 are superhuman at this point. Because the thing right. that we've fought, the systems that we fought through and the fact that we're yeah. still here and, like, making more black babies and, like, living successful lives is the ultimate gag because <laughs> they've just done so, so, so much. much. It's
3: layered. It's Oh, like,
2: like, the floods now. Like, can we... <laughs> oh, go ahead.
3: It's, no, exactly. So all of these things, <laughs> legacies have been around a very long time. Right. They exist to this day. Um, and... You know, this is where the, the switch hat again, the urban designer side is there. So climate change is happening. It's real. It's happening. And it doesn't necessarily mean that every, all is lost. Like there are ways to deal with it. You know, humans are smart. Uh, you know, there are ways that you can design communities so that yeah. you deal with these challenges, mm-hmm. both the the climate and kind of physical challenges, but also the social challenges. A lot of the people doing work around climate Uh, and what the broader term a lot of people use is resilience is actually looking at the social aspects. Mm. So that's something that also has to be planned and figured out and determined. You know, how a low-resource community deals with a uh, sort of a climate or, or a dangerous event may be different from people that have different resources. We have to actually acknowledge and talk about that so that we can do the best job for our communities. So there's a lot of work that's happening on, on kind of shifting what it is that people actually need, and what they deserve, frankly, uh, to to help our cities kind of adapt for the next generation.
0: I'm curious when you are at the table and having these conversations mm-hmm. with city officials. Oh goodness, we yeah. don't <laughs> <laughs> I mean, have to get into specifics, but what yeah. is what is generally the response? Like when you yeah. say, "Hey, you know, right. do, we're." The, the, the zip code that we are zoning mm-hmm. in this flood in this flood area right. um is majority minority right. um we this is not cool like right. what is how are you met with what, what's the response that you're so with?
3: I would say in in within New York City government um I would say that the response is, is pretty good um you know new york is is kind of way over on a spectrum in terms of of being progressive and and pretty well informed about these things um especially after sandy it, it, it's it, it's just true like it wasn't an or abstract like it was very direct what happened mm. and who was affected right so you don't see a lot of of kind of blank stares uh on that topic but there there are you know major blind spots still in government um, story I often tell people is how a um, number of years back we were working on a project in Brownsville. So Brownsville, Brooklyn, one of the highest concentrations of public housing in the city and all of the kinds of, uh, of issues that, that are connected to that. Mm-hmm. And uh, the city at the time wanted to do um, a significant amount of new what's called supportive housing. So this is housing for kind of the lowest uh, spectrum of, of of income in the city, and so we're in this big meeting, you know, tons of people in the meeting. I'm the only black person at the meeting, and everyone's saying like, "Yes, yeah, it's going to be great. We're going to put like these hundreds of units of supportive housing in this neighborhood." So I really, like raise my hand and I'm <laughs> like, "Well, isn't that further concentrating poverty?"
2: Mm. You gotta speak up,
3: and people looked at me like I have horns. Mm. Right. Because the decision at a much higher level had been made like the city needs more supportive housing to deal with, you know, homelessness issues and all mm-hmm. of that. And it needs to go somewhere. And it was decided that this is where it was going to go. And so the conversation at that level of decision making was, you know, what's the building going to look like? And all this stuff like the decision are even made. right? And the, the conversation about where the city was by policy, by where it's spending its resources where they were physically going to further concentrate poverty mm. was not a point of conversation. I was young at the time, so I'm like, hey. They're like, oh. <laughs> 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 and so it's very frustrating, right? Because it, that's where, you know, you're kind of talking about this early, like the agency that you may have or try want to try to have does hit these these roadblocks. And so...
2: Century-old roadblocks. centuries old roadblocks. (laughs) Yeah.
3: So, fortunately, long story short, fortunately, for whatever reasons, that project didn't happen. Um, And now the uh, Brownsville community went through an entirely different kind of neighborhood planning process where uh, they sort of went more to community Mm residents, had kind of workshops and what we call charrettes, kind of working sessions.
0: Mm -hmm. And maybe um, uh, one... Uh, solution that I've heard of instead of like just putting supportive housing, maybe like a mixed
3: income. Exactly. Building, right? okay. Exactly. And so that was kind of what they heard from people who were like, we understand, you know, and, and, I say black people are too nice. So, you know, they're like, we understand that, you know, people have needs, da-da-da. You know, if they're in a white community, they'd be like, they right. have they yeah, have torches, students, you know. Right. <laughs> um But, you know, people are like, we understand that we need this, but we need to have a mix of housing. We need housing for, you know, I'm, I may be growing up in Van Dyke houses, but my daughter, you know, is graduating college next year. It would be nice if she could move back to this neighborhood and have a place to live. Because mm-hmm. right now... Someone that moves up the ladder in certain communities, they don't have a place to stay in their own community. Yeah. And so that was what they asked for this is this kind of mix where you may have supportive housing, may have low income housing, but you may have housing that's just affordable housing so that people can in- improve their economic conditions without leaving their neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And that's a tough situation, right? Because legally, the government can't say affordable housing is for people from this neighborhood. That is illegal. Hmm. Um, people ask for it all the time and they demand, well, if there's affordable housing it should be for us. It is illegal in the United States to do that. No one knows that. No one wants to accept it, but it is illegal to do that. (laughs) Why is that (laughs) illegal? It's a, it's a form of housing discrimination, technically. Interesting. Because, so imagine a white neighborhood that said, okay, you could build more housing in our neighborhood, but only people from this neighborhood
0: can live here. Oh, I see and so, it's for it, a
3: very good reason,
0: right? Just so then it has to <laughs> it the other way. right? Yeah, right, um. right, It just
2: always interests me what this country decides <laughs> needs to be. I see,
0: right. I see the point. She said, I see the point. Like, put all the black people in the flood zone. Yeah. That's, that's, legal. <laughs> 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 but yeah,
2: I see. I see. We yeah. do have to think both right. sides,
3: but yeah, so people, you know, there are ways that you can kind of devise different different approaches for things.
2: Yeah. Can we talk about black space? Yes, of like black, course. Black spaces are my, just in general, like JJ yells at me, but I just choose <laughs> to to not have non-black spaces in my life when I don't need Great. to unless I'm getting paid for them. So <laughs> right. I, I love the idea of your collective and I love what you guys are doing. So if we can just yes. talk about your manifesto, kind of how it started, all of that.
3: Yes, yes. So, yeah, love black space. Yes. Um, so, you know, we say that we have a, a vision where the present and future of uh, black people, black spaces, and black culture matter and thrive. Mm. And it's it's really, uh, it is a collective. There are all these different people that have in their own way and own interests been Thinking about and connected to black spaces, so it's it's kind of what has produced us in a in a way, mm, mm-hmm. um, and and it's what we're responsible to in another way. Um, so it started uh, at the Harvard University Black and Design Conference. It's you gotta be uh, starting right? at Harvard. Okay,
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, he's like leaving here to go to Columbia. Okay? <laughs> so this is the the real deal in here today.
3: So, but it, it sounds it sounds more. Elite than it is. Um, the so Harvard, you know, has a problem. A lot of these predominantly white institutions have where there wasn't a great kind of space for black culture, black knowledge to be acknowledged and elevated. And so, a group of students there created a conference around the work that black architects, urban planners, preservationists were doing. So a bunch of us from all over the country go up there, and it was like. Just amazing because there are all these people from all over the country, from, you know, Black Belt of Alabama to Oakland, Chicago, all coming together to talk about the issues that they were having in their communities. And so there was a a kind of New York group that had gone gone up there and they met for the first time there, right? Mm -hmm. They're in New York and they never kind of crossed paths. They crossed paths at this conference and just decided to start meeting, connect with each other, have brunches. You know, make their own little black spaces. Um, and the the idea really became people sharing the resources and the kind of the collective energy that's needed to do this very difficult work. Because we all go to our jobs and we're in these, you know, we say something like, hey, why aren't you caught poverty? And people look at you like you have horns and right. you're defeated. <laughs> and so we need a network of people to sort of help us have some strength yeah. around really pushing for and advocating so they're the like issues. no you don't have horns you're actually uh, speaking <laughs> right. <it's- laughs> right and we need you so that's exactly what the group is it's yeah. this group of people that know that there is a need we I say that what you know why you do this it's like because we don't have any choice
1: mm. uh, Ooh, I got you. Right? <laughs> as things change other things stay the same. Like Ohio Lottery scratch-offs. From small tickets to big tickets. From bright colors to flashy themes. There's something for everyone. Big wins make big stories. But it's the millions of small wins every day that make life-changing memories. And your biggest win will come by following the state-recommended safety protocols during this special holiday season. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Please play responsibly. You don't have but any that's, choice. But that's <laughs> why we're all doing
0: everything. That, yeah. You just said that last episode, like that's why we feel like we have to do this podcast. Yeah. And like yeah. because you see what happens the moment that you let up, right? Like if there wasn't a black space, you right. know, like what issues were not be addressed. Ever. You know? Exactly. Ever.
3: Yeah. Right. So yeah, who's gonna raise these issues? Who's gonna say Um you know we need to do things differently? Mm. Because status quo rules a the day, right? And mm. and the systems are set up, and these are very, very old systems, mm-hmm. very right. old systems. And so the, the group gets together, and over time, it, it was really decided that it needed to, to formalize a bit more. Mm. And so uh, the manifesto actually started with kind of things that people tradition, do in organizations like what's our mission or all this kind of thing and we're like that's not right for what this is we don't need a mission <laughs> <laughs> right we need these principles these ideas that we know are important and are lacking and are missing in all these different decisions about black communities that mm-hmm. we see happening can, um, we,
0: can we i just want to pause real quick because you're uh, the Black Space Manifesto, like, I want to like print it out and put it up on my wall. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs>
3: yeah.
0: I just want to like call out some of them because sure, I mean, yes, it's a lot. Yes. But I, <laughs> some of them I just have to read. So, one, it says to celebrate, catalyze, and amplify Black Joy. Yes. Black Joy is a radical act. Woo! <laughs> Give due space to joy, laughter, humor, and gratitude. So that's one. And then it's create circles, not lines. Create less hierarchy and more dialogue, inclusion, and empowerment. And then another one I love was seek people at the margins. It's yes. so like because so often the people at the margins are like the last thought about when actually right. if we just even move them to the middle to like right. the, the, the second people thought about right, right. <laughs> the world. And, and the very structure.
3: often the people at the margins are the majority.
0: Mm. You,
3: okay, Justin. Justin. <laughs> <laughs> it's so sad but true.
0: acknowledge the structure the structures that create, maintain, and uphold inequity learn and practice new ways of intentionally making space for marginalized voices, stories, and bodies. Like, I feel like that is, like, my... Exist. Like, ex- what we want to Yeah, do like, what family. I want to, yeah. like, serve in the world, uh-huh. you know? And so, I'm so glad that you guys are doing this. Tell us about some of your um, projects that you have going on now and, um, and, sure. how, and what you envision.
3: No, yeah, so the um, Black Space does a lot of different things. So the it's a collective. There's probably a hundred total in the the kind of what we call the broad collective. There's about twenty that are in what we call working groups. These are people that are doing some kind of project or initiative led by Black Space. And then there's about ten of us that like do work. I call it, like, mm-hmm. you know on the conference calls and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so one branch of projects is actually working in and with communities. So we've done projects uh in stuy for example, where there's uh, Children of Promise that's a uh, kind of a children of promise. Yeah, so, I used to volunteer there. Oh, okay, yeah. So we worked with Children of Promise and we created uh called the Bed-Stuy Treasure Hunt. And so this was uh, working with the youth from Children of Promise. Mm-hmm. You made kind of a, a neighborhood uh, heritage trail. Mm-hmm. So going to Bed and seeing like, oh, these are these important spaces in our neighborhood. Mm. So that the young people could learn about them, but simultaneously it was so that the young people could learn about people that make these spaces That's or so cool. make decisions about these spaces. On the kind of the end of that project was they took the the kind of the gymnasium uh, space and they made a, like a big map of the neighborhood. And they had stations for these important spaces. And so the kids got to like present about uh, the spaces of their neighborhood and why that history was important. And that it. is,
2: ugh, I love that because there is such a, I, I would think a lack of legacy in a lot of us right. of just the ground that we're walking on, right? Like, I feel like there was a long time that I didn't know that slave trades happened in Manhattan, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And so it's like the roads <laughs> that we're walking on were Bill's by our ancestors number one and number two there were like a lot of things that impact who we are and what we are that happened right. here
3: here yes so, i mean look I at love the that. erasure
0: uh, that's happened with and best just from justification, right? You know, right. Like I. Yeah. Like would
2: would you be walking down? Well, my street's still kind of black, but would you be? <laughs> <laughs> would you for now? Yeah, for now. <laughs>
1: They're moving
2: slowly. I'm like the last block, right? Um, but you know, would you be walking down Bedford now, next to the acupuncture center, and across the street from the juice right. bar, and instantly think of the black or brown history that happened, happened. there?
3: Mm-hmm. No, right. Mm-hmm. So, so I yeah. Love that. So, so that's something that we kind of is rooted in our work. We talk a lot about kind of heritage and, and legacy a lot in the group, because that's something that just has to be acknowledged about kind of black experience. And so the other big project that we've done is working in Brownsville, uh, Brooklyn, and this is um, uh, a project around what we call heritage conservation. So communities change and there, there's an acknowledgement within the group that, that places change, Mm. right? Development happens, and in, in the upswing or in a downswing, things change. Mm-hmm. But what we're focused on is what is it about Black experience, Black community, Black culture that needs to be not just preserved, but we call it conserved, right? So preservation movement is very strong. Uh, so bed for example, they have like the historic districts, right? So they preserve the, the buildings, mm. But the culture, the people, the, the life mm-hmm. isn't necessarily preserved. Mm-hmm. So we talk instead about conservation. So if you know from the environmental movement, they talk about conservation of the environment, mm-hmm. right? So you don't want the species to go extinct. Mm. <laughs> right? So <laughs> <laughs>
2: like, like, the thing that you're saying and the wake-ups <laughs> that they can, like, allow... We don't want the species to go extinct. So while y'all are holding onto these buildings and erasing the humans in and around them. All right, Justin, go yeah, ahead. Yeah, Sorry. Yeah.
3: So, you know, in order to have black people in the future, there needs to be black people. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so we started thinking about this question about what does it mean to kind of conserve the heritage, like the culture of a community as it's changing and, and to put the pieces together. So um, he started working with a number of different uh, Brownsville groups, organizations, and just started by talking to people, right? Um, went to the, the Brownsville Easter Parade, which is a longstanding kind of uh, event in the community. We talked to uh, a writer's circle group there. We talked to young people. And really just had this conversation about what makes Brownsville, Brownsville. Hmm. Right. And, and this is important because this is a community that has all the negative association. Right. Right. Um, and what we wanted to do is that have a conversation with people about what is the positive, what is the, the kind of the full picture, the full story of this community. Mm-hmm. So, Uh, Through that work, we really um, had, I think, a a learning exchange because this is something that all of us involved in the group realized that we've been miseducated Mm. in how to do our work, right? We're professionals. We all went to school, worked all these things for, like, how you do work in a community. And, you know, you do your analysis, you do your study, do your mapping, do the survey, da-da-da-da-da, developing a plan, Mm -hmm. Put the plan on the wall, version A, B, C. Do you like apples, oranges, or pears? People say, I like pears. And you do the plan. That's a miseducation. Hmm. And that's what we've been taught to do. And so through this process, like, that didn't work. <laughs> and
2: that, that was a miseducation because that education isn't inclusive of. Exactly. Right. right.
3: Exactly. That that works
2: Right. For some For people. For a tiny percentage mm.
3: of. Cause, because you
0: were taught to go in and work in certain kinds of communities and not your community. Right. Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it was, you know, it was a, a long process. We have one of our members, um, Raphael Smith, he works um, uh, at IDEO. And so they do a lot of the design kind of process thinking. So we we actually went through this whole process of once you kind of acknowledge your, these problems, the way we're approaching it, that we had to actually redesign how we even think about these things. Mm. And so we had sessions where people from Brownsville were part of of the conversations and sessions and helping us sort of figure out, well, how do we even engage this question and, and how do you talk to people and how do you even frame what a project is? So we, mm. you know, we started with one kind of orientation and through actually becoming more integrated with the 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 needs of of this place, we sort of developed a uh, kind of approach to what it meant to maintain this neighborhood.
0: Yeah,
3: I saw. Um,
2: Sorry, it's twelve. I just want to make sure that. Yeah, okay. Right, okay. when yeah. do you think you need to go? Uh,
3: twelve thirty. Okay. Yeah. Because okay. right. this call me is.
2: Columbia. Okay, perfect. Okay. I don't want to make you late. Okay.
3: Thank yep. you. Thank you. Um.
0: So I, one more question on that from me, from uh, about black spaces. So I'm on the site, and I also saw that you have a um. A spaces and places uh, yes. workshop happening in Oakland. Yes, uh, next month in April. So I know that um, similar to what's happened in New York mm-hmm. and the surrounding and the surrounding boroughs as a result of housing development and mm-hmm. real estate, um, similar things are also happening in the Bay Area because of right. the tech presence there. Yeah, Intent. Um, Yeah, and so. Um, I am I'm, I'm looking on your list of collaborators <laughs> and participants, and I'm not seeing a lot of tech companies. So I'm curious, like, have have you reached out to? I don't mean to put you on the spot, yeah, yeah. but right, have you have, have you,
2: have you yeah. reached
0: out to like Google, to Facebook, to, to like, a lot of these tech companies that have um, been responsible for so drastically changing right. the the uh, makeup of the communities there and. If you have, what has been your response?
3: Right, right. So we have not. um, And I'll give you a little background on Spaces and Places. So Spaces and Places uh, started a few years ago. And um, it started because there's, like I mentioned, the American Planning Association, this national association, had these conferences. And a number of people um, had submitted proposals for what to present at the conference, and none of them were accepted their proposals were around working in communities of color, mm. and so a group of people said, "Well, they may not accept it at a conference, but we still don't have this conversation." And so they did their own little mini conference. Um, and now what it does is it follows that conference around. Uh, so this year, the, <laughs> the, the um, conference is in San Francisco, and so <laughs> spaces. Love- and places- <laughs> like we're gonna I, love-, yes, I love
2: that. I- we weren't accepted that's cool we'll do our own conference right next to yours so where, where are we going next year
3: and instead of costing eight hundred dollars it's free um, because I that's one of the reasons that people Justin. can't you
2: go ahead and be professionally <laughs> yeah.
3: dragging like yes that's great but it's important that you have the space because who can afford to go to an eight hundred dollar conference right, right? and and that, and that doesn't accept us and that doesn't accept exactly we don't, yeah and so we, you know, we raise money and we get sponsorships and things to pay for it so that it can be free. It's not, you know, it still costs money to do, but we, we right. get uh, sponsored. But um, so the idea of it and the reason why it's not the Googles and, and all the kind of the companies is we, we start by going to the organizations that have been working on the ground in those communities mm-hmm. so that we can hear and understand what it is that they're going through and Mm -hmm. what they need from this kind of national audience of people that are doing similar Mm -hmm. things. So it it is centered on the local kind Mm -hmm. of organizations, so that we can, you know, I think give them the space that, that they don't often get, right? Right. So Google, right. Google can say, Oh, we're going to build a city in Toronto and the entire world is interested in what Google thinks about communities. Hmm right these black and brown organizations that are working in you know last year in new orleans com- you know neighborhoods in new orleans that were completely wiped out and told and given resources to rebuild but when it's rebuilt it's not rebuilt for them mm. right so
2: man go ahead
3: i mean yeah so this is who we're saying we need to listen to we need to have these conversations the the big people we you know we obviously have to engage with them at some point right but the little resources we have, we want to try to make sure that people that do not mm-hmm. get their voices
0: heard. And create these black spaces. It, I exactly. Love that. I love it, Justin. I mean, I'm adopting some of these strategies like as you're talking, like in my own work, in my head, yeah. as you're speaking. Yeah,
3: we need we need we need a media unconference, whatever your version of <laughs> like that. And be like, okay, we're right. gonna do our own Right. <laughs> Okay, so yeah.
0: <laughs> so I'm curious specifically um about uh the way that your situation is set up, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, I think a lot of times as we think about entrepreneurship, right, we think about going in making money, right? Um, and so Shane and I were talking earlier before you got here about you know the fact that you are um like Black Space is a nonprofit. Right, mm-hmm. yes, and then nonprofit. Urban Patch, um, which I'll I'll ask you to introduce yeah. okay. a little later uh, mm-hmm. in your answer, um, is a social enterprise, and right. so um, how do you? It seems like your for-profit venture is your work with the city, right? <laughs> so, so how do you? How do you? For first of all, what's a social enterprise? Right, and then two, like how how has these nonprofit ventures contributed to like your professional success right
3: so yeah I, I tell people all the time that um uh i consider myself kind of a swiss army knife type person i do like a lot of different things you know well enough to get it done um so on my kind of professional career track I tell people I haven't had one career. And I think that's another thing that you're miseducated on is that, like, you know, you go to school for this thing, and then yeah. you go and you do that thing, and you someone else hires you to do that thing, and then yeah. you move up. Um, that has not been my career ever. I've mm. always had at least three jobs. Wow. Um, and I think because I've always had, like, kind of multiple things that I'm doing, it's made my sort of skill set broader, mm-hmm. uh, my general awareness and understanding of things uh, better. And so it's it's been good for my career, actually, that I've done multiple kinds of work mm-hmm. uh, throughout throughout the career. So yeah, my work in government, I sort of, you know, the day job would be the shortcut way of saying it is, you know, that's where I have my salary, it's where I get health insurance, mm-hmm. all those <laughs> kind of practical things. Uh, and I've been very fortunate to be successful in that. I'm I'm the head of a city agency Your in New executive York. Executive director Executive Director, of a right? New York agency. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I've got you know, my office is really nice. So when we have a lunch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> come come down and see and you'll be like, Whoa, this is really nice. Um so it's you know, it's great and I'm I'm fortunate and I and that's another thing is, you know, people, you know, poo poo working in government, but there are a lot of great jobs and and career opportunities and government a, a lot of um uh, a lot of times you don't get the best pay but it is very rewarding and if you like your job you tend to do better at it um Amen. so so that's kind of one track and the other advantage of government is you know good old unions you know it's a 35-hour work week mm. and so that means that i have time to do other things yeah and so that's another thing that people get trapped, like, oh, I'll take this job and it's gonna pay me more money and it may be five thousand dollars more, but if it's fifty thousand dollars worth of more time, you just got got.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
3: I work
2: in fashion.
0: No such thing
2: as unions, your whole life spent there. yeah, so, yeah. Like,
3: yeah. so that's there really no fashion. It's years? like yeah, it's no. like that's that's time <laughs> that's time theft which is money theft. Right. And so Ooh. um you know, so I've had the time to do these other things. So um, two kind of tracks. One is I teach part-time, which is great because it forces you to keep learning. You teach at Columbia? I teach at Columbia, yeah, the the architecture school there. Um, the other is these other activities and things. And so Urban Patch, uh, which is our – it's a family social enterprise. And so uh, social enterprise is a business. It's an LLC where you have a social purpose of some kind built into the business model. So in our case, uh, the the work that we do primarily is buying up uh, what were vacant or, or uh, underutilized properties in the neighborhood where I grew up, we fix them up and we rent them out at affordable rents, right? So it's kind of small scale uh, kind of real estate property management. Uh, what makes it kind of a social enterprise model is, you know, you get rents that come in and then you take some of what would normally just be profit. And you, instead of it just going into your pocket, you do something that benefits the community instead. So that's where we've done things like community gardens and uh, rain gardens and uh, kind of artwork, murals, public art that we're doing in our community with some of those profits from you know Man, the,
0: that's so inspiring.
2: Yeah. How because can we get is... you to do this for the whole
0: world? <laughs> 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 but, hey, but like you, but also the fact that you you started the conversation with like when we asked where you are from and like seeing what you saw in Indianapolis and now you like going to start this social enterprise do it. in your hometown. With your family. It, oh yeah,
3: just it. do it. Yeah. And yeah. it's and the, the thing that is uh, it what's funny about kind of the idea is there are different business models, right? And you know, I think Lyft just went public or whatever, and they lost $900 million last mm-hmm. year, right? And so the, the idea of what is a, a business model is broader than what a lot of people think. So Urban Patch, you know, people are like, oh, how do you do this? And, you know, you're still in charging $600 rent. Well, the rents are affordable, but the value of our property goes up. Mm. So part of the reasons that I have a certain amount of net worth is that other people have been paying my mortgages come on net worth <laughs> <laughs> you know and it's, it's so it's, it's it's not a pure, it's not a non-profit and we always a lot of people kind of say oh you're doing something good must be non-profit We're like not necessarily yeah there's ways there, there are ways and yeah. so our our model isn't that we don't make profit in terms of cash flow from charging more rent than than what we feel like should be charged mm-hmm. in that neighborhood. It's that we're growing wealth and value With integrity. within integrity. Come on right? and drop the financial gems, mm-hmm. Justin. And, you know, and, and, you know, there is uh, kind of the downsides of, of things that when all of this started was, you know, at the time when we started our patch, I had like an 800 credit score. I had all the money to the down payments. I'm like, this is going to be great. Go to my old neighborhood to buy the first house and couldn't buy a first house, couldn't get a mortgage. Wow. wow. Because redlining basically still exists. Mm-hmm. And they said, oh, well, that house, after you fix it up, because I need it to renovate it to make it livable, right? They said, after you fix it up, it won't be worth that. And it's like, well, that's really funny, because two months ago, some white people did that down the block. What? And I'm positive they got a mortgage, because right. you can see the public records, right. you can so see the mortgage.
2: That
3: exactly. And so there are all these problems that we came and I was just, I was mad. And so I just, I maxed out every credit card mm. and bought the house. Mm-hmm. I love it. I love
2: it. You got to do what you got to Ma- do.
3: Maxed them all out. But um, after that, <laughs> <laughs> after that little moment, we got back together. And it, it's been sort of a sustainable business model that after we do one project, we can kind of refinance, get money out and do the next.
2: An Urban Patch has a, another arm that you guys are developing, right? Yes, can yes. Can we talk about that? And can we also talk about this shirt and this jacket that you <laughs> yeah. walked in with? So for our listeners, I will describe. It is just like a dope blue button down, but all of the piping is an African print. And you can see it yes. through the collar. He also... <laughs> I, like, was eyeing his bomber jacket as I hung it up. It also yes. has the African print patches on yes. the pockets yes. and the detail. What yeah. is this? What are you yeah. wearing?
3: So it's a Katenge. So it's Ronda Clothing Company. Look them up. They're very cool. And it's uh, it's Katenge uh, print fabric that's that they kind of incorporate into all their clothing. It's really cool stuff. That's
2: awesome. We're going to take a picture before you go. And we'll put, <laughs> we'll put it on our Instagram so you guys can see it. Yes.
3: Yeah, so... Um, Something really exciting for, for Urban Patch and actually just got back on this Monday, this week, um, from Kigali, which is the capital of Rwanda. And we purchased our first property there.
2: Oh, my gosh. Um,
3: Congrats. Very excited. So wow. I own own land in the motherland. Oh, wow. my gosh. That's uh, awesome. And we are developing affordable housing in Kigali, Rwanda. Wow, Justin. And so... Uh, Kind of the background of this is I have a very good friend, uh, uh, Fatu D.A., that we went to uh, school together and actually worked together briefly at the city planning department. And uh, a while ago, she we thought she was crazy. She's like, I'm moving to Rwanda uh, to work for the city government there. So she worked at city government here doing planning. She went there to, to work at city government doing planning. So... Um, Rwanda, um you know most people know the genocide and kind of the crazy history that they've had but they've since the genocide have been rebuilding uh at an incredible pace uh it's a rapidly urbanizing country which is the case of a lot of uh, uh, developing nations and so they have a problem with housing and uh sort of gone there visited it's really great and the thing that he sort of saw was that they were repeating a lot of the mistakes that we know we had here. Because mm. what happens is like the development banks and the policy arms and everything, they say, okay, you guys need to develop. Here's how you should develop. And it's like a, a, a blueprint boilerplate that is one terrible <laughs> idea. But, <laughs> um, you know, they they aren't necessarily um, being totally critical of it because they just need you know, to deal with their basic need. And so um, going there, looking at the project, we decided that maybe our urban patch model that we've been doing in Indianapolis, which is a smaller scale, what we call incremental development, could work there. Um, So we're doing a new development, ground up construction, uh, with eight units of apartment building on this lot. That
2: is awesome. Congrats. That's awesome. Thank
3: you. I
0: I think implicit in like, and what you're talking about is, like, this um, this willingness to sacrifice. And I, and I don't want to say sacrifice in a sense that like you're, like, just giving up your wealth, right? But mm-hmm. I think a lot of what we see, a lot of the harm that we see done um, from businesses today is, like, you know, again, I hate to keep... Saying it because at this point it's like a bad word in my podcast, Facebook. Right. <laughs> um, but um, you see, like companies like Facebook and like all these right. um, other larger companies, even like chemical companies like Dow. Oh know? yeah, like well, Dow. Is just real. this, this <laughs> relentless persi- pursuit, just this relentless pursuit of profits, right. and how there's nothing intentional in that because all you're pursuing is money. But right. I like the fact that. You're like saying, Yeah, maybe, you know, I am not, you know, charging my tenants 10X, you know, right. I'm not building an apartment building where I can like charge them ten thousand dollars a month rent, but they are paying my mortgage, you know, right. and, and, and um and I'm able to and because of that I'm able to like buy this building. Right. Like, and at
2: some point there has to be a cap on what you <laughs> need, right? <laughs> right it's right, just right. like how much Jeff Bezos. <laughs> How much money do, do you, you need? need? I think that <laughs> you're fine. You know? And so, like, fine. and that's what I hear from when you're speaking. It's like, I'm not trying to be a popper. <laughs> right, like, I'm right, also I'm trying to be successful, but right. I don't need all the money from all the people.
3: Right. It's it's just not necessary. Yeah. And the, the thing that's, it's been interesting this surprises, because people are like, oh, well, you could make so much more because we're, mm-hmm. we're obviously going to be um selling these units and we're selling the units in ronda because it's like i don't want to be a landlord in ronda it's like we'll build right. it you yeah, buy it, you it, it's your, it it's your it's your land yeah. yeah um but people are like oh you could charge so much more it's like but people can't afford it
2: right and i'm, I'm <laughs> like, i don't that, understand that's what i'm talking about
0: that right there it's like i feel like so many other entrepreneurs will respond to that as but somebody will you know and you decide like, but not the people i'm trying to help exactly right. yeah. exactly
3: yeah. And it's like, that's not where the need is. That's not where the demand is. And, you know, if you do it right, I mean, we'll see how this project works out. But if you sell it at prices people go for, you could sell more of them. Yeah. Right.
0: I just wish so I wish so much, <laughs> as a person who covers business, I wish so much of the world thought that way. Like, in terms yeah. of selling and buying and pursuing right. profits. And, and yeah, you'll, you'll you'll be,
3: like you said, you'll be fine. You'll You're be okay. okay. You like, don't need more. <laughs> it's, it's like... It's like at what point do you stop
2: yeah thank you
3: thank you like, like, this, is fun. Justin, this was so good this was
2: so good Aww. and i feel like you've yes. reminded us that it is always about more than money
3: oh yeah always yeah no so, so many more things to worry about right because right. <laughs> really i are. think
2: from a business perspective it's like we're taught like like when you talk about mass education we're taught that that's what we're doing this for you want to be successful, this you want education. your net worth to be huge, and it's just like, no, you also want to like do well.
3: Right. And do yeah. good. I'm still a millionaire.
2: Right. Oh <laughs> right. That. We're try it off. Mike dropped. <laughs> that was the best ending. Thank you so much, Justin.
3: All right. All welcome. Right. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.